0: corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot.
1: My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour, the man himself, Todd Harrison. So, Todd, a lot of people are familiar with you, but some may not be, so maybe set the stage a little bit as far as who you are, what you've done, and what you're doing currently.
2: Thank you, Michael. Uh, About 30-some-odd years on Wall Street, started at work Stanley. I went over to the buy side, Galleon, Kramer Berkowitz among them, um, moved over to a place called Minionville for some time, which was writing about the markets. That's where you and I crossed uh, paths back in the day and certainly been uh, attuned to the markets attuned to the opportunities and attuned in particular for the last 15 years on the cannabis space which has been uh, a bit of a bumpy ride for sure but but a fascinating one nonetheless so i'll i'll pause there
1: okay so uh, i want to focus on the on the word opportunity for a moment because opportunity doesn't necessarily have a time frame but people seem to think that opportunities have to pay out right away and as you alluded to you know the cannabis space despite all of the arguments for it have you know has been a hard place to to invest and unfortunately most people when they invest it's only for a couple of months talk about uh, maybe the last decade or so as far as why it's you think been such a such a struggle to get some sustained momentum and and maybe some of the history around the legislation that failed in the past but maybe changing going forward
2: I mean, listen, the history of cannabis is an involved one. It goes back 10,000 years through the lens of medicine and wellness uh, throughout history. Hemp actually traces back uh, somewhat uh, upwards of 30,000 years. Uh, so this has been around a while. And it was uh, demonized and brought over to you know, the illicit realm uh, through uh, U.S. government action some 70 years ago. You weren't allowed to test it unless it was for testing for negatives. Uh, And this war on drugs continued, and all of those unintended consequences and moral hazards that tend to happen when you do something like that. Of course, uh, that happened. You know, my journey, you know, just to put it out there, I was uh, president of Kramer Berkowitz in 2001 uh, when the planes hit, uh, saw people holding hands and jumping, ran from the smoke. And uh, that indirectly led me to where I am now. I started to talk with a woman by the name of Dr. Julie Holland, who Assuaged my guilt, uh, which uh, there was much, uh, and, and, and really led me down the path of exploring the science and, and the history uh, and all that jazz. And been focusing on, on it full time, uh, I guess, now uh, a little over five years. We have the CB1 Wellness Fund. We also have an advisory shop where we work with companies in the industry, some public, some private, uh, the MSOS ETF, which is the plant touching US cannabis uh, ETF. Uh, and here we are. And I think as you look back over the last year or so, there are a lot of false starts and empty promises with cannabis in particular, but I also think there is a few dynamics in play here. You know, in cannabis in particular, obviously, you know, the space got over its skis with excitement when New Jersey flipped the switch in November of 2020 and the Spectre of Federal uh, Movement took root. uh, And you saw that, you know, March 20 top put in and subsequently, I think we're down about 75% from there paradoxically, is a lot of the things that we got excited about um, have come to fruition. the uh, New Jersey did, in fact, uh, trigger the tri-state to flip. Uh, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, I think that's that's pretty massive, uh, although certainly uh, the market has its own agenda here, and we'll get to that. Uh, but that's sort of our thesis. as we look at cannabis and we say it's a state-led story, uh, it's going to be bumpy. It's, gonna be, it's not going to be linear, but over time, you're going to see as the, as the tri-state unlocks the East Coast, you'll see Ohio, you'll see Pennsylvania, you'll see Florida flip, uh, and, and this will all come online. You know, Certainly, uh, with lower prices comes narratives of why, and of course, and all that, uh, just as much as there were narratives on the upside in November of 2020 as to why, and of course, and uh, all of the reasons why uh, the space was poised. But this is a very unique space in that institutions are largely gated about 95 percent of of the cap tables are, are the retail uh, audience. Uh, and certainly, uh, as we've identified in the last you know few months, uh, re- really the, the, you know was something we've been watching for the last 14, 15 months, but really we un- we're starting to understand what the algorithmic uh, sort of machination is doing uh, and why, for that matter, the XBI, biotech uh, or, and Arc. Uh, And MSOS have a very similar chart for the last 15 months uh, and has to do with the vol factor trade overlaying a number of other things. But there's a lot, this is not a, this is a multi linear equation. So I'm not going to try to cover everything in one conversation, but certainly there's a lot going on, right? When you have a retail dominated segment uh, that is really being targeted, whether it's the other side of, you know, Melvin or or the other side of Archegos, uh, there's been a concerted effort to really uh, drill down on the custody of cannabis, U.S. cannabis stocks, and also I think uh, to really put a target on the back of the retail investor. Again, uh, a separate conversation. Uh, we're looking right now, you know, at, you know, at, at all-time low valuations. Uh, certainly, there are litany of concerns, uh, but we do think that the states will continue to lead this story. We don't foresee anything comprehensive at the federal level. We do think we'll get safe banking by the end of the year, uh, which is a minority view at this point. But it's not credit. That's not why we're bullish on the space. We're bullish on the space because iron sharpens iron. The operators who can get through this are going to win, uh, and that's who we want to stay with and, 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 and keep our money with. So I'll take a breath and Michael, and, and, and let you sort of dictate where we go.
1: Yeah, no. it's so, interesting so, because so, you mentioned the the all time low valuations are shared at the top of the space. More than two in three Americans support legalizing marijuana. So if you look at the polls, that's going to all-time highs as far as legalization support, but valuations are hitting all-time lows. And I'm going to make the assumption that you only get that convergence if you get safe banking in place or some kind of other federal uh, dynamic. For those who aren't familiar, Todd, with safe banking and, and some of those nuances around federal versus state, just educate the audience, kind of ground up, you know, how important is it for the Federal government to handle the um, or kind of answer these questions around how how transactions should take place when it comes to the banks and these cannabis companies uh, locally yeah
2: I mean listen if you put your hands over the screens, we like to joke that the last five years has been just an unbelievable time for u s cannabis and, and how the thesis has evolved how the space have led this led, led the push um, you know the tenth I always say the Tenth Commandment, the Tenth Amendment. Uh, labor- uh, states as laboratories of democracy. You know, this is sort of that's the cannabis story right now, and it, which happens. Oh, by the way, to play real well with with you know today's judiciary, which we can come back to. Uh, but nonetheless, the states continue to lead. They're driving tax revenue. They're driving jobs. I think there's upwards of four hundred and fifty thousand jobs right now, full time uh, in U.S. cannabis that's not being factored into the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, but you know probably will uh, on the next, next election year. Uh, but, but nonetheless, the states are driving the story. But because it's federally illegal, uh, the exchanges won't list it, and more and more banks won't custody the assets, which is the real issue. Even even the banks that had allowed uh, for custody have grandfathered that and don't allow new accounts into custody. Uh, so it's really sort of a buy, you know, they're choking off the buy side, while there is, you know, uh, upwards of, call it 80% of the volume on any given day for plant-touching cannabis is algorithmic. Uh, And that's been in play for some time now, right? It's been a retail dominated universe and the retail investors gotten shellacked over the last 15 months, along with a lot of professionals, by the way. Uh, But that's when you, that's all you have in terms of cap tables and audience, it becomes problematic. You know, so now you have a number of reasons why they're, you know, there's plenty of reasons for 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 opt- uh, for excuse me for negativity down at these levels. We can talk about the the bull case, we can talk about the bear case, uh, we can talk about the structural case, whatever you want to do.
1: Well, let's, let's talk about that retail versus institutional side because you know, retail kind of more on the on the public equity side, institution will be more on the I assume uh, private side. Um, and you mentioned cap tables are more on the retail side, but you got to assume. I, I mean, why is it that institutions have not been Maybe putting more money into the space. I mean, obviously, everybody wants
2: to have the the safe side answer, right? But I'll tell you exactly why. Because if you've got a ten or fifteen billion dollar franchise, you're not going to risk it for a hundred million dollar sleeve. I mean, that's part of the reason. That's the same reason that this big CPG companies won't come in because they don't want to be painted with that 280E tax brush, right? So this has been very, very coordinated to be arm's length because sort of the amount of money that's at stake and sort of how it plays out at the federal level is going to dictate a lot of what happens and how it happens, right? Like, you know, we know, we, we think we know where this is going up and to the right. We don't know how or when yet. Uh, but you know, listen, Connecticut's going to flip the switch this year. It took Connecticut five years to, you know, settle on recreational or adult use cannabis. It's going to take 50 Connecticut's more than a year and a half, right? It's just it. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of seats at the table. Uh, you have, you know, pretty much every facet of society stakes a legitimate claim to having a part of this uh, industry because it is such a ubiquitous, it, it we believe will be such a ubiquitous industry going forward.
1: So I, I think there's and maybe this is a, a wrong impression, um, but I think there's this impression that for you to get real federal clarity, it's got to come from the Democrats. Maybe I'm wrong on that, although I've seen some analysis that would suggest Republicans are kind of leaning more towards in favor of legalization to some extent or some form of it. Talk about how the uh, the politics of this have evolved over time. And, and what do you think it's going to take? Because I'm pretty sure i wrong, that Biden, that was one of his campaign promises that this would be part of his agenda to address, and you haven't really had much action
2: there. Yeah, no, listen, I think if the Democrats had the votes, they would want to put into place their framework uh, for cannabis, which would be much more skewed towards that social justice and criminal justice element, Uh, but they don't have the votes. Uh, And if the Republicans have the votes, they're going to want to skew it much more toward the business interests, whether it's that, uh, you know, uh, the alcohol distributorship model, right? or or something to that effect that's going to be a little bit more skewed toward big business, right? Safe banking is, you know, is is the low-hanging fruit right now. Safe banking would allow for commercial banking. It would require FinCEN and AML guidance to be updated, which we believe uh, will lead to uplisting. Uh, Certainly will uh, help with the custody situation, Uh, but that's what the industry needs and wants right now. Uh, And it's, by the way, the only thing that can pass. So you'll hear a lot going forward about safe plus, uh, safe being safe banking, the plus being what kind of social and criminal justice can we get through in this environment? Not what should be done, but what can be done. Uh, and it's my understanding, and I'm only going to talk about what has been announced publicly, you know, that, that, uh, you saw Joe Biden already, uh, triggered, uh, or sort of, you know, moved toward clemencies, uh, for cannabis, uh, nonviolent cannabis related offenses. And we're told, uh, that there's going to be more of that after the midterms. Uh, so that's at the federal level, uh, at the state level, because, you know, there, that's where most of, 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 People are locked up right now. Um, the expungements, so there's, a, there's a real nifty bill called the HOPE Act that will... Reward states that expunge nonviolent cannabis offenders, but not require them to. Uh, that's been um, sponsored by Dave Joyce, who's a Republican in the House, with AOC, who's a Democrat in the House. We would love to see that hop the aisle and, and, and be sponsored by, uh, in a bipartisan way, over in the Senate. So you have a bipartisan, bicameral piece of legislation that makes sense that would be, you know, the perfect other side of the plus to a fix to safe banking. So now you have federal reform state level reform and uh, functional banking which by the way the social justice uh, applicants need a lot more than uh, you know the bigger companies right now so that's how we see it playing out but politics are pretty foobar um, we don't see Schumer and 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 Booker going back to New York and New Jersey without functional banking for their social justice programs
1: okay now you mentioned uh survivals earlier that what's exciting maybe is that you know those that survive will will probably be the ones that really thrive the most um talk about how how often companies get started outside of public markets how how often do companies get involved in or get involved with cannabis and then uh close down what's sort of the survival rate that you've seen and and when it comes to the universe um how large is it when it comes to public expertise
2: we'll be back after a quick break
1: Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit Live and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the lead lag
2: report. And now, back to our discussion. You, the whole public equity universe right now is under 25 billion, which is pretty mind boggling, if you ask me. I, we had a Zoom call two weeks ago. I think there's about 60, 65 billion on the call. Uh, that's every publicly traded U.S. cannabis company. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy, right? Um, but uh, that's the market. Uh, in terms of what's going on behind the scenes right now there's a lot of pain you know one of the there's a lot of like I said before it's a multilinear dynamic there's a lot of moving parts one of those moving parts was a very robust uh, crop tober effect last year California came you know we had a bumper crop uh, and you know really flooded the rest of the states and created that seasonality within the earnings cycle um, and and certainly that's you know that's a thing uh, but we're hearing now that Upward of 50% of the leases in California are not going to be re-upped. You know, there's a lot of other, regulatory, you know, headwinds coming their way, not so much for the weed, but for the water Uh, in California facing a drought. They're going to really crack down on illegal grows because they use so much water, things like that. So the market over time, we believe, is going to find its natural equilibrium. You know, you have a, a universe out there that says, just look at Canada, just look at California okay, look at California, you know, look at Colorado. Like, you know, I think it was out this morning that, uh, you know, uh, it's like year over year up 5% in some of these mature markets. It's obviously not a linear 5%. There's, uh, a lot of States that are down it, it, every, you know, you have a quilt, a, a puzzle, if you will, with 50 different pieces, 37 of which fit, uh, some of them are taller than others, but you know, you're, you're building this industry from the inside out. And by the way, despite federal regulation, you know, the, the the pioneers and the entrepreneurs who built U.S. cannabis had subsequently been villainized as big business, trying to squeeze people out. Like, where where else in the world do you have the opportunity to build an industry from scratch, despite the fact you have to go on the shipboards in Canada, to list or the pink sheets to list, and go out and be able to, to, you know, generate free cash flow despite all the fuckery, despite the fact that nobody can buy your stock, and despite the fact you can't even put you know, your money in a bank or take credit cards, right? Like even this playing field, and you're going to see some of these operators who, by the way, again, get a real bad rap. Some of them are deserted, granted, right? But some of them are, you know, these are your future leaders, right? I mean, we talked about this the last time I was on, Michael. we talked about uh, that 2012 tweet where I said, you know, pro, uh, the Great Depression ended the first prohibition and the next Great Depression won the modern prohibition of cannabis. That was November of 2012, I think. And here we are 10 years later. Like, do I think we're going into a depression? I don't know. For, some, for 25% of the country, probably, if they're not already there. You know, it, it's going to, you know, there's a two sides to every cycle, right? If you believe excess breeds excess, you know, there's another side to the meme stock mania, presumably. But I digress. Uh, I, th- I think cannabis, if you talk about the leaders coming out of a crisis not being the same as the leaders that enter a crisis you know, show me another industry that has a mostly domestic supply chain that's generating jobs, it's generating tax revenue. And whatever happens with interstate or how, as the FDA gets folded in over time, all of that stuff will figure itself out because what they don't want to do is stop the gravy train, right? There's a lot of states that are going to, as, as, as a federal stimulus starts to wean, are going to be reliant on cannabis-driven tax revenues, and which is also why I think they're going to continue to crack down on the gray market.
1: As if you mentioned the mostly domestic, Supply chain part of it because I haven't really heard or thought about sort of how these supply chain disruptions might be impacting the space. You alluded to to the drought in California, but is there really any kind of supply supply chain equivalent crisis, or is any of that impacting cannabis now or expected to in the in the coming years?
2: I mean, listen, you have fertilizer, uh, although we're told you know that it's manageable uh, by some of the biggest operators out there, Um, and vape cartridges, lighting. Uh, Certain elements, packaging, um, you have international exposure. But my point being, you know, most of that supply chain, at least for flour, which is still, I think, you know, a big part of the conversation. Although ultimately for 2.0, you know, just to kind of take a step back, 1.0 was Canadian cannabis, that was funded capacity and let's grow weed. Uh, 2.0 is US led CPG, the notion of cannabis as an ingredient, or cannabinoids, I should say, as an ingredient across a number of use cases and and products. And then 3.0 on the horizon, or maybe even not so much on the horizon anymore, is that notion of the biotech pathway and efficacious agility across a number of different indications. And that's where we think it's gone. One
1: of the things I've heard from people that are bullish on the longer-term prospects is that this idea that, yeah, they already own tobacco companies and it's inevitable that tobacco companies will get involved. So they're going to participate in the trend at some point. So why bother with kind of the pure play of the here and now? What would be your response to to that notion that tobacco companies ultimately are going to get in the space and you don't necessarily have to kind of play them uh, right now?
2: Well, it's a good question. I think there's a there's two things. One, I think it's going to be a bit of a buy-build. Once CPG is allowed to enter, there's going to be a process of buy-builds, right? You're going to see companies come off the board because it's not an easy supply chain at scale to grow, uh, and you know, good, high-quality cannabis. But, you know, as you start to bridge out into the second part of the answer, which is your brand affinity uh, and the ability of these MSOs in between here and there, uh, here being now and there being uh, when these other CPG companies come in, uh, is going to be the ability to, you know, to execute against your moat, build, you know, customer affinity, build brand awareness in the marketplace, uh, and, and you know, cleverly, uh, it, you know, take that brand affinity across state lines in a world where you cannot take cannabis across state lines. And that's sort of the task at hand for a lot of these cannabis companies as they look to market as a national brand.
1: So it's interesting to me here is that when I look at some of these cannabis stocks, they all peaked, you know, kind of around the same time in February of last year, which is when of I've often argued is where the real bear market across the board started. And, you know, it's been a severe drawdown there. But to your point, it's not just been there. It's been obviously innovation stocks and small caps and a lot of parts of the marketplace and and the headline averages have not shown the extent of devastation with most stocks underneath the surface. I'm just curious, Todd, I mean, maybe even beyond cannabis. have, Have you thought about what may have happened in February of last year that, explains why things started really deteriorating beneath the surface. I mean, I've seen things around liquidity and, and other explanations, but something happened in that time period that really caused a an about-face in a lot of positions.
3: We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Yeah, I, like I said before, I, you know, I think that, that some, somewhere at some point a, a flip switched or switch flipped, I should say, pardon me. Uh, and, you know, they, they turn the gun back around at retail. And whether that was uh, articulated through vol factor strategies and, you know, I've spoken to, I've spoken to vol funds. Uh, if I look at the front page of MSOS, half of them are vol funds. You know, 80% on, on most days, 75 to 80% of the volume on plant such a name is algorithms. So, like, we have a sense that there has been a of of all factor strategy that's been on as a hedge against the other factor strategies in size. Right? I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if that's Citadel or Susquehanna or Jane Street or whoever it is. It really doesn't matter who it is, but it helps to explain, you know, that CIBC algo that we've, you know, <laughs> we've almost you know, uh, got, you know, adopted. We see it every day. Um, so that's been going on. But I think you're also seeing uh, ARBs of the underlying stocks, at least for the MSOS, against the ETF. That's the other side of, of, of a lot of that algorithmic trading. And with the retail holders, you know, I think uh, with all three of those sectors you started to talk about, you know, those were the three highest Volatility ETFs over the last year, uh, I'm told, or at least two of the three, two three of the top five, which is the XBI, the MSOS, and Arc. So I think that helps to explain some of it thematically. It was a volatility trade, but certainly not the reason these things have come down. I mean, remember the pantry stuffing, you know, into COVID, you know, had uh, created un- unsustainable comparers, and you see down mid single digits from there versus down what thirty. You know, 40% for some alcohol. So, okay. Uh, Post COVID normalization, you had the state level delays, which again, you look at uh, Arizona, which made a billion two before New Jersey, you know, ever got off the schnei. Delays like that. uh, And of of course, what goes on in, in DC hasn't helped. And that's before you have all the inflation and growth and consumer concerns. So like I said, you know, there's a lot of reasons you could point to and say, why bother? Like well, if institutions can't buy them, this is a dead money trade for, you know, as it has been for 15 months. Uh, okay. You know, and I think a lot of people have sort of made that choice. Uh, we saw a lot of forced selling. We saw a lot of people tap out and still like the diehard. And so I talked to were like, what are we missing when you, when you don't really have a you know, a real market, uh, you know, these things trade, like the other day, one of our names traded like, you know, a couple thousand shares by lunchtime. It's, it's you know, you're sort of laying in wait for, you know, the fundamentals to, you know, to prove through. Uh, but in some of these cases, some of these uh, our positions, you, you know, we're very excited. Uh, we're just waiting for the rest of the market to pick up on it. And we think that happens in the back half of this year.
1: So I think this would be um, the difference between a pro and an amateur and when it comes to trading in general, which is that pros get excited in a drawdown, right? Amateurs, you can argue, don't because they come in, they start losing money right away, and then suddenly whatever their investment quote-unquote thesis is doesn't become a thesis, it becomes a trade, right? That's based on the short term. And I want to relate that a little bit to emotion in the space, right? Because you get a lot of vitriol when you're, talking about a theme, talking about a strategy, you know, in your case, cannabis, in my case, risk on, risk off. You get a lot of emotional vitriol from uh, investors that say, why would I even bother listening to what you have to say? Look at how this theme or this strategy, this approach has worked You know, in the most recent past. For my own edification, Todd, because you've had a lot of experience in investing and, and dealing with clients, how do you try to get people to think properly about Investing in terms of not just time frame, but the idea that the best returns come from buy low, sell high, not buy high, sell higher.
2: Well, I think listen, everybody. There's different strokes for different folks, and I think if anything, you know, at least when we talk about CB1, it's it's the you know the conversation that you can get the direction, but you, or you can get the timing, but you're very rarely going to get nail both. Right? You know, in the last five years alone, uh, this space has done two, you know, full cycles. And in, and in those down cycles, we've seen uh, in I, what I believe to be the, the best elements of any cycle is what people do when the going gets tough. Who does what, who cuts corners, who can still execute, who communicates, who, sh- you know, who, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and in the first downturn, uh, that really, uh, you know, behooved us because we got to really know a, a number of companies. Ultimately, uh, we started working with a few of them. Uh, and you build, that's where you build your alliances, because no matter what happens, the strength in numbers. As long as those numbers are the right type of people, uh, you, you know, there are, are few and far between in an emerging, nascent. Uh, frontier industry like cannabis, but make no mistake, there are good people in this business, and there are good operators in this business. And so like I said before, if they can get through this, like wait till the wait till uh, you start seeing 280 e being addressed as it is at the state level. That's the onerous tax code. Uh, wait till you see uh, you know these things trading on the New York stock exchange. They may still trade with biotech. Uh, and and arc, but I would venture to guess that they would trade at a higher multiple of where they're trading right now, which is pretty out, uh, you know, pretty amazing for somebody who's been watching stocks for as long as we have. You know, so it's really about syncing your time horizon and, and your risk profile and communicating what your thesis is. And like I said before, um our we're state we're you know we're state led guys. Like we're focusing on the states. I understand that margins are going to come down over time. We understand that you know, that there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. And I'm not, you know, anybody who's read me for the better part of 20 years knows that I'm not like taking, you know, a healthy market landscape for granted, right? Like nothing would surprise me in this market. I've been doing this for 32 years. I've seen a lot of shit go down in this market. Uh, and I still get amazed. The negative crude <laughs> trade was one for the ages. But my point is like, you find good companies that continue to execute. Uh, that you think are at, completely off the radar, which I think these are, uh, and you hold on for dear life. And if you're right, you change uh, you change the game for yourself and your family and your investors. And if you're wrong, uh, you wear it shamefully and you get mocked on Twitter. I mean, you know, everybody's got to make their own decisions.
1: So I think it's interesting, Todd, this this point about retail versus algos, because if, if the argument is that a lot of trading happens because of algorithms and, and let's quote it, called the quote-unquote machine. Well, because of these nuances when it comes to the cannabis space, more of that trading, you can argue, is pure retail as opposed to the algos that are pervasive elsewhere. I wonder if you think, Todd, that means that momentum in the space looks actually very different than momentum outside the space because you don't have the same degree of algorithmic interference with price action.
2: Well, it's amplified. I mean, listen, this is, again, algos are not the reason the stocks are lower, right? There's been enough Being thrown at the space, both in terms of what we can see and what we can't in terms of plumbing and all that. But they're not the reason that the space is down. To your point, uh, and my point earlier look at biotech and look at ARC and a number of other things that since February of last year are materially lower, right? But what they do do is they amplify the trend and they create dislocations. I mean, we saw it in November. The MSOS, you know, I think was up like 70, 60% in like two weeks just on, you know, I think it was when the Nancy Mace bill came out. It got faded, but like, you know, risk happens fast in cannabis, right? And, and you've gotten a lot, you know, 15 months in a row of getting your head handed to you. Who wants to do that? I mean, we, we you know, we live, breathe and die this space and, you know, it's not fun for us. But like you said, like, we're excited. Like, like we're more excited now. We're a day closer to the turn. We still think that we're going to see some legislation, but I'll tell you this, Michael, in my heart of heart, gut of guts, and innards of 32 years, like, safe banking just feels like it's too obvious to be the catalyst. Like, I don't know what it will be, uh, but I just don't know if it'll be that.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's often the thing which is not obvious, which is the real catalyst, right? That's only explained after momentum's already started. Right? Just Correct. as a general truism, right? When it comes to and,
2: and if the structural short is, is embedded, as we know, and I don't even think we mentioned that on the CSC, You know, naked shorting is evidently you know uh, allowed. So we don't even know you know what the short interest is on some of these names. We know it on the MSOS. Uh, We know what the what the uh, percentage of the uh, daily trading volume is algorithmically. But certainly, you know, uh, we saw a lot of a lot of funds tap out for selling. Got the tap on the shoulder. We saw people get fired. Um, I mean. I don't know. I think we we come back. Uh, we talk at the, at the end of the year, beginning of next year, and it sort of will be the other side of this, right? Or like, you know, why why would you sell? I'm like because you know, look at the run. Hey, but if wishes were conditions, Michael, I'd weigh 300 pounds.
1: We'll see. Well, if you weigh 300 pounds, you would it be a store of value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, Every again, this here. Make sure you follow Todd Harrison. Uh, yeah, I, I've known him a long time. He's he's not only a very thoughtful investor, but overall, a, a good human being. I believe you do business with good human beings. So Todd's uh, Todd's among my, my favorites there. All right. So Todd, I want to I pivot a little bit to uh, something I remember from back in the Minionville days, uh, which is this theme you had for a while that there's real risk that the societal fabric is tearing, that there's a lot of discontent that's coming. And I remember you doing, uh, I think, a conference or two where you had several notable speakers like a Peter Atwater and others talking about uh, how that is a trend that's coming and you got to be on the lookout for some of these risks to, to the overall uh, system. Talk about your thesis back then uh, around some of those things we're seeing now around societal discontent. And how does some of this get resolved if at all, uh, when there's so much concern about higher prices and, and war?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this was 2008. Um, and, You know, we were talking about the notion that the U.S. government was going to inhale or buy the cancer to sell the car crash, right? They were going to inhale all the toxic fumes in the economy, not allow it to rightfully uh, reset itself with the forest fire. That's scary and dangerous, but ultimately necessary for referral birthing. And sure enough, that's what we had. And we talked at the time about the tricky trifecta. Of uh, societal acrimony, social unrest, and geopolitical conflict, and how that you know the the un, the, the unavoidable con, uh, consequences of of those actions is leading to to war. And you know, listen, we've seen it uh, societal acrimony. Uh, you know, whether whether it was Occupy Wall Street or whether it was you know around the elections or uh, just everything we've seen at the state level, and now obviously how that's manifested, and then the social mood and the tribalism. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the answer. I mean, you know, if I could figure out how to turn it, uh, I I would. I don't. I I do believe and understand that there is a way to turn it to the positive, just as as there's a way to turn it to the negative. Uh, And I think you know, society is the sum of the parts. uh, Hopefully, you know, we we can we can push it in the right direction for the benefit of our kids. But it's sort. It's unfortunately. Michael, as you know, it's it, it's been you know it, it's been one of the more accurate observations.
1: Part of that is this this tribalism that you kind of alluded to, and yeah, tribalism. I always have a problem with because if you uh, if your identity is that of a group, then you don't have much of an identity. You're just a part of the group, right? So, but it's interesting in the context of investing because you can make a case that for any emerging industry, whether it's blockchain or cannabis. You almost need to have degree of tribalism and hardcore fans uh, as a group to be the early adopters to keep that investment going, to keep that story out there, to be the maximalists until, you know, there's kind of some kind of widespread adoption. I mean, I see those hashtags all the time, M- MSO gang, right? I mean, as an example, talk about some of the, maybe from an investment perspective, how you think about some of the pros and cons of tribalism when it comes to belief in an investment theme. Because yes, you can. You can be right on an investment, but wrong in your timing, and you can certainly be wrong in your waiting. So, talk about that dynamic a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen. One of the things that you and I and and always used to talk about was discipline, Trump's conviction, and um, that's probably the one thing that I violated more than any other uh, for the last fifteen months, just in terms of watching these things break levels and you know and using the price to you know try to buy more. You know, we've been bullish for. Ten years doesn't do us any good uh, on the way down, certainly. But we've been consistent in why we've been bullish. We've been wrong in terms of the you know looking back over the last you know period of time. But I think everybody needs to uh, identify, like I said before, you know, synchronize your your time horizon, your risk profile. I think ultimately, if you say you know tribalism in, in, in investing. Uh, they probably don't mix very well. The laser eye things really gave me a uh, you know pause for cause. But I will tell you that the MSO gang, ironically enough, was really well intentioned in trying to demonstrate uh, the math that's different between U.S. operators and their Canadian counterparts. And uh, you know, to that end, I think you know it, it was largely successful. Uh, but it also became entrapping in certain ways because who wants to get off the train when you still think the best is yet to come? Uh, and a lot of people aren't positioned for that, or or aren't able to to ride that wave. Uh, it takes you know a certain amount of fortitude, um, and it takes a certain amount of uh, of uh, guile, I guess. But you know, we we we've been long, uh, Michael. I you know, it's one thing to say you know stay long on this trade, uh, and 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 then you know sell to your unsuspecting minions. It's another thing. To be wrong or early as the case may be uh, and you know I have a feeling if cannabis you know flips the switch as we think it's going to and you know sort of like the boy who cried safe but okay you know what it's gonna be it's gonna look a lot different uh, and the and the perceptions around who was bullish who was bearish who was opportunistic every different strokes for different folks you got to do what's right for you but I do think that drawing attention to the opportunity uh, I can tell you top down, you know, it's definitely uh, raised awareness. Uh, And bottom up, I can tell you uh, what most people don't see on Twitter uh, is the efforts that are being put in to move the needle uh, on the ground and to move the criminal justice needle and to move the conversation forward. Um, And it's ironic that a lot of people who are loudest on Twitter don't do anything about the things that are going to really make the difference. But I guess that's just the way it's always been.
1: It's funny you said, you know, uh, you've been bullish for 10 years. It's funny how people forget that you could have been bullish on stocks for 10 years uh, in uh, 2003 or, you know, and then here comes 2008 and then suddenly that bullishness gets countered. right? I mean, the nature of investing is that you can be bullish and then suddenly look like a fool in, you know, a, a sample of time, but then still ultimately be right with enough time. Right. And it sounds to me like, Todd, that's sort of the, the way you're viewing the Canada space overall.
2: I mean, listen, we've been long as rain for the last, what is it now, 13, 14 months. You know, like, you know, give me a crystal ball, we would have sold everything and bought it back. That's not the way life works. You know, we, we think the best is yet to come. We really do think that the leaders that come through this time are going to be the winners that come out of of, of this, whether it's, you know, the second coming of the Great Depression uh, and the second coming of the repeal of Prohibition. Um, I don't think there's any question that cannabis as an asset class, cannabis as an investment thesis, uh, is is going back. Word not with ninety two percent now of the U.S. population ninety two percent in the same amount of, of percentage of people in the United States that support cannabis legalization either either uh, medical or recreational as you do who support uh, Ukraine uh, in the conflict with Russia right I mean it's really it's really quite uh, like I said they, if you put your hands over the screens the amount of progress for this country in terms of cannabis led by the states. Right, and, and it's just amazing, and, and I just think you you got to sort of let the thesis play
1: through. All right, so let's go now towards the kind of bigger macro environment because you hit on uh, Great Depression two point and and we've talked about societal unrest and everything is in some way, shape, or form interrelated based on whatever's happening in the macro environment. Maybe just riff for a little bit, Todd, on how you're seeing the global uh, landscape here for pretty much all the major asset classes, right? Stocks and bonds have been horrendous. Bonds more so than stocks. Treasuries have not been risk off. How, how do you see this shaping out here in terms of opportunities? What are the implications for growth and for, again, that societal
2: unrest? Well, I mean, listen, it, there's so many variables. So tell me what happens with Putin, right? Tell me what happens, you know, with the rate and pace of the deglobalization right? Like I said, I really do think that one of the narratives for US cannabis that's been most overlooked is the mostly domestic supply chain. And if, if we continue down this path, you know, probably regional sort of geographies emerge, you know, all of that uh, sort of, you know, as <laughs> not to say the fourth turning, but like, we're sort of at the point, right, where something new has to happen. And I remember at Minionville, when, when we dropped weapons of mass destruction on Baghdad and watched it on CNN, I, Wrote at the time. I feel like this is the uh, the fall of the Roman Empire as they were pulling down the Sedanta statue. You know what weapons of mass destruction. So it felt it felt like we were poking the global bear for a long time. You, you, you denominate you know global assets or and, and commodities and dollars, and, and then you manipulate the measuring stick of of uh, that you use. And of course, the world is pissed off right? So like, I love my country. Um, I think we got some things that we need to do better. And if there was was a political system, I'd chop off both red zones and be very happy with the, you know, that new field. But, you know, that's not the world we live in. I think we need better leadership options. Um, But again, you know, I don't know where that, I don't know how that plays out in the election. I I don't, I don't think it's going to be as bad as everyone thinks. I don't think it's going to be as good as everybody thinks. But I'll tell you this, Trump pushed me to the left and Biden pushed me right back to the right. So, you know, I'm kind of stuck in the middle with you here. You know, I do know that you need to keep your calm and you need to think about solutions and, you know, you have to have good you know, intentions. And listen, I, I feel terrible about, you know, the wealth destruction across the cannabis landscape, but it's not like I'm a, a color commentator. I'm feeling it. Right. I, I've destroyed a lot of wealth, but um, I don't think that wealth is gone forever. I think that wealth is going to return. And I, if we're betting on the right people, uh, to lead the right companies, uh, out of this, uh, then, you know, it, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a conversation of, you know, why do you own this? It's going to be a conversation of why didn't you own more as it always is, right? I just don't know when that conversation shifts, uh, if you're out there every day waving your hand about the industry, you can't have it both ways, right? Like, I, you know. And by the way, just so it's said, last November, after two straight years on Twitter, you know, after probably one too many dances with Kim Crawford, you know, like I got sloppy, right? Like I did. Like I, I got sloppy. I started calling the bottom. I did a lot of damage to my, I mean, uh, to my name because you know, you know, thirty years online or however long it's been now, twenty. What year is it? 22 years online. Uh, you know, but you live and you learn, right? Like, this is, you get up or you don't. Uh, and the reality is, you got to keep going, right? Like, you just got to keep going. Like, if you believe in what you're doing, you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in what you're doing. You got to believe who you're doing it with. And you can't let people who want to take you down to make themselves feel better. You can't give them the oxygen, right? It took me a long time to realize that. And I just was like, you know what? That's true. Because no, nobody's going to be please everybody. Now, it's one thing to have a valid conversation, to be a gentleman about how it is, uh, and, and to offer the other point of view. I mean, you know, at Minionville, that was the whole thing. We brought in a lot of thought leaders. We had, you know, and that residual grist between, you know, our uh, arguments. Not only, you know, where the education is, but that's also where the profits are. And, you know, it just evolved on Twitter, like, you know, like, the... the there's a lot of assholes, right? So it's just the worth it meter, you know, versus just doing what you're doing and staying true is a lot different than just, you know, like you said before, living in an echo chamber, right? You want to hear the other side, but you just don't want to hear it from people who are screaming in your face and, and telling you what a fucking asshole you are. Um, anyway, no, no, but,
1: but, 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 but you know, it's, it's also interesting, right? Because people people will blame you, know, they'll blame me, they'll blame you based on when they entered right? That particular thesis that we respectfully believe in. But, you know, it's there's, there's a lot way. of
2: smart, there's a lot of smart people, Michael, and there's a lot of people who are scared. There's a lot of people who are hurt. And there's a lot of people who are feeling the toll of everything that's going on in the world, myself included. All right, full disclosure. Um, but I know we have like 10 minutes, I want to just put something on your radar real quick. Um, Because we have we talked about, I think we started talking about the positives, right? New York Tri-State, Eastern Seaboard, all that coming on, the valuations, Illinois is opening up a whole new uh, billion-dollar opportunity um, through distribution of stores. Uh, talked about sentiment, talked about all the negatives, I think. The unknowns, right? So D.C., safe banking, like that's an unknown. You know, there's a lawsuit out there that Abner uh, Curtin over at Ascend is in the process of pulling together. And the only reason that's interesting uh, is because of whos who we're being told is the lead counsel, and that's David Boyce. Uh, and they're getting a fair amount of sponsorship, I'm told, behind this. Boyce sees, uh, in Marijuana Moment, wrote a great article about this last week. Uh, he sees a pathway, I guess because Clarence Thomas had ruled, so uh, it was in the minority on an issue. Uh, there's a pathway here. Uh, I only bring it up because I'm convinced that the left-field catalyst is not safe, <laughs> even though I'd be happy if it was. Uh, So we're just trying to keep our eyes open. The judicial branch is the wild card in the whole cannabis legalization uh, conversation, right? You have the executive branch and Biden's, you know, begrudgingly gonna, gonna, gonna grant clemencies to nonviolent cannabis offenders. You have the legislative branch, which is a bunch of fucknuts, for lack of a better word. Uh, And and then you have the judiciary branch, which is the wild card here. So I just wanted to mention that because that's in, in being ha- that's being worked on as we speak.
1: Yeah, no, and, and how, how do you how do you suggest people keep track of some of these some of these things? So these you don't often hear about the stuff in the mainstream media, right? So what kind of
2: sources do you go to? To I mean, I mean, Tom, if Angel, is still on here, if Tom is, if he's not, somebody tell him I was uh, speaking his praises. Tom the Angel's terrific. Uh, marijuana moment. Uh, and I encourage people to support him in his efforts because he, they, those guys do good work. But it's, you know, you're going to read about it after the fact is, is the truth, Michael, as most people do. I just, you know, there's enough things to worry about right now uh, as we as we sort of look around the world. Uh, and as we start to look at solutions, you know, and we start to look at solutions that, that come across the spectrum for cannabis. And that's you know, whether it's legislative solutions, whether it's uh, structural and plumbing solutions for custody, which right now is the biggest thing. And we'll get that uh, with safe banking if and when, Uh, but you also have, you know, you have the continued state level adoption and and the onboarding of the East Coast. And if that's what it is, uh, and and you're giving these operators another two to three years to go out and and build their brands unencumbered from, uh, you know, CPG, uh, then, then that's what it is. Um, everybody always wants to identify the winners, but I'm
1: going to assume that it's hard to really know who the winners are when there's maybe not as much um, transparency uh, and it's harder to access on the ground information. So, uh, how do you think people should be analyzing to at least maybe avoid those that would go under?
2: Well, I think you know the, if you look at the companies that are that are in uh, their operating results that, and the companies that are that are performing through this environment I think that question answers itself I will say a few things that I think is a little bit off the radar um, number one you know we work with forefront we have a big forefront position like that's the type of company like I tell I tell Andrew all the time like forefronts the uh, the best position company nobody's ever heard of right because they enter California with this huge processing facility uh, and they're going to, they're going to replicate that in Illinois, no matter what happens with interstate, you're going to need that part of the supply chain at scale. They can undercut the competition, take business in. And like, as we said to them, like, why try to produce the hit song each week when you could be, you know, the publisher uh, and and let the market tell you what the hit songs are. Uh, and I think that type of strategy is really interesting and off the beaten path. When you talk about the land grab and the deep first wide, think uh, Big fans of Terror Center, big position there. Um, you know, they're very leveraged to New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania and Maryland. You just got to do the work. Find, you know, find the company, find the jockeys, right? It's about the jockeys still, I think. You know, and I think to that end, over the last, you know, call it four or five months, I think a lot of people have probably learned a lot of things about who the better jockeys are, and maybe rethought their hierarchy in terms of uh, management in the space. All right, so let, last question on my end. Again, everybody, make sure you follow Todd. So again,
1: I want to be a little bit more generic here. You, you've been at this for a, for a long, long time. You've had your cycles where things are working, cycles where things are not working. What got you through those emotionally tough periods when things aren't going your way, right? Because everybody has those periods where it's like, damn it, no matter how much I believe in what I'm
2: doing, the damn thing just doesn't want to work, right? And, and that's hard emotionally to go through. This is the, this is the best, this is the reason why cannabis is the best asset class. You lose money in crypto, you can't go take a bath in, in, in Bitcoin, right? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like cannabis is, cannabis is terrific. I mean, uh, it, it'll help you get through the trade. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, more realistically, like it's not as easy as books. I spend a lot of time with my dogs, my emotional support animals. You know, it's been a long 15 year, uh, 15 month tunnel. Uh, for cannabis investors. But, you know, I think it was uh, Dr. Jerry Buss who said it on, on the Lakers uh, uh, miniseries. That's the thing about luck. You hang around long enough, it's bound to change. Um, not that that should be your investing thesis, but if you believe in your thesis, you know, you, you have to ride through some tunnels to get to, to that, you know, proverbial uh, Shawshank moment at the end.
1: Again, everybody that's here, make sure you follow Todd. Todd, I appreciate you spending the time here. Uh, hopefully, Todd, you and I will uh, get together uh, in, the, in the months ahead here, and everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Todd. Thank you.
3: The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads and YouTube and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code podcast30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections and bear markets.